0: Okay, welcome to another uh, episode of the NMRA British Region podcast. This is your host, Gordy, and I'm joined by Tom Gager, and tonight we're also going to be joined by Neil Mason of the Little Layout Company. So, say hello, guys.
1: Hi. Hi.
2: Hello, everybody. Hi, everybody.
0: Uh, You can guess who's who (laughs) from those (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Okay, so... This is this is pretty cool. We've not interviewed anyone for for a while. We've mostly been uh, it's mostly been me and me and Tom and, and a guest or so, But uh, so Neil, um, you just why don't you just tell everybody? Uh, let's see who who are you? All right Neil? Who are you? Where are you? Where do you live? Start with so
1: uh, my name is Neil Mason. I'm 42. Um, I live in um, a, a town just outside of Peterborough, Tongue End. So we're in the middle of the countryside. Um, we've been here only a few months now, but um, originally I was born just outside Nottinghamshire um, in a place called Mansfield. I grew up there most of my life till about 23. Um I moved right to, over to Peterborough, but um, you know I spent most of my life with my mum and dad. Um, my dad sort of was into railways all his life, really. He worked in signal boxes most of his life. Um, took me to places like the Midland Railway Centre preserved Lines. And I sort of got the bug from that. Kind of looked, you know, worked in my, my dad's shed with him on his model railway for years and sort of dropped off a little bit. And um, through my teens, you know, we, we sort of found football and beer and clubbing and that kind of thing. And then I picked it back up again and started building the micro layouts, really. All right,
0: okay, all right, all right, whoa, whoa, whoa stop, 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 stop. Like uh, to so ask you some questions because you've just like yeah, sure. some exciting stuff there that you're like going at a hundred mile an hour. So, <laughs> so your dad was a uh, so. all right, first off, Peterborough and Nottinghamshire are in England. That's right. Yeah. Down in the Shire, not Scotland, uh, where yeah. I'm from, and definitely not where uh, Tom Tom hangs out. So, um, <laughs> for those people that are that are not from England, it's uh, it's kind of in the uh, East Midlands of, of England. Okay, kind of
1: central, isn't
0: it? Yeah, kind of. If you want to put that way, they might not think that <laughs> if they, you ask someone in Birmingham. But anyway, um, so <laughs> Kathy Millett may, may disagree. Is our uh, is an honorary member in Birmingham? So, um, you you said that your your father worked in signal boxes, which is kind of switch towers and things like that. Was he a signalman? Yes, he was.
1: Yeah, he was a signalman. Yeah.
0: Was this when, what 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 era was this?
1: so this was through sort of um 70s really um 60s 70s he got the job from his uncle and he, um, his uncle worked in a signal box at the end of the platform at pinkston i believe um and my dad used to go in there quite a lot and the station master basically said if you can pull a lever you can have a job um, and he's back in the days where you could just get a job for just being good at what you do um and he, he got the job and he was a relief signal burden For quite a few years and he became a full you know took his test and became a full time signalman and he worked in a lot of signal boxes around the nottinghamshire area around um the the sort of the coal industry run pits and mines around there on the on the branches um and then once he'd left there he sort of became you know he left because everywhere was going into power boxes and yeah, there's no need for um, signalling like my dad was. So my dad didn't want to retrain into the computerised age.
0: So, for the benefit of everybody who doesn't know what a power box is, so that's centralised, uh, centralised signalling from big, big dist- um, dispatching sensors, basically. For, yeah. Yeah, it? that's
2: right.
0: Just so Tom, Tom knows where we're going with this. Cause yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I
2: thought that was we. We call it CTC.
0: Yeah, which replaced
2: all the, the towers or signalmen's here in the United States, most of them anyway. Yeah,
0: it's so oh, yeah, kind of slightly different. So back in the day, so kind of back in the day, where you, were you joining your father in the in the signal boxes when he was on shift? Or
1: no, I didn't. I didn't go to the signal boxes with my dad until he worked. He um, was a relief signalman in the Middle Railway Centre, which is a preserved line okay. in the in uh, uh, sort of in the in Nottinghamshire area, Derbyshire area. Um, so we used to go there most weekends and most of the time when I was on school holidays. So I used to go and sort of, when I was younger, just sort of go with my dad, um, learn a few things about signalling and stuff and then wander around the yard trying to bum rides and footplate rides around the, around the um, preserved lines for most of my school holidays, which was great. You know, you used to get Footplate rides on diesels and steam locos, so it was good fun. Oh, okay, so
0: it's because of... have gone, Tom. Sorry? I think Tom was asking you a question. Oh,
2: no, no, I'm, I'm listening oh, to okay, this. I'm, okay. I'm Googling up all these locations. Already.
0: You work in the Google machine. Okay, so i Yes, cool.
2: where are these places?
0: So, so really, was it. So what was your first interest then? Was it the big trains, or was it it your dad's... You said your dad had got models, so was it the models or the big trains? It was the models
1: first, um, and then the big trains came as I got... sort of went when my dad got older. So I used to... The models were sort of in the loft, and it was in the shed, so it was kind of sort of... My dad building layouts, and me wanting to crash soldiers and toy cars on it, um, which kind of sort of, you know... Getting told off by dad at sort of eight years old for crashing your cars on his model railway was fun. So uh, was,
0: was this double? Was this double O? Yeah,
1: it was was double O. So,
0: yeah. So what was what were you crashing? Was this triangle? Or was this more newest? Was this newest? Was,
1: it was sort of late. We were in like sort of Hornby Lima days um, when the height of their China kind of stuff. Um, so his most motor, was all DC. You did dabble in the zero one stuff. I don't think Tom. Do you know what the zero zero one Hornby zero one gear was? No, 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 I don't. I know double
2: zero, but
1: yeah, zero one was kind of like the first ever um, attempt at DCC, I guess, wasn't it? Oh, Go the up. controlling, yeah,
0: yeah zero was, one. I, I remember was, that. Yep, it was very early attempt at, at DCC.
1: Yeah, yes,
0: I remember those.
1: Um, wasn't very um, Wasn't very successful really, because it was such a, a crazy system. Um, So my dad stayed with DC, so I used to sort of drive the trains at full speed into my cars on this this layout, which didn't go down too well.
0: Oh, yes, the good old... Good old, I would... Yeah, so an American simile to uh, the Lima era of pancake motors um, would probably be Arthur and Blue Box. Um, However, this stuff was... At the same time, and this is why a lot of modelers in the UK went, c- kind of got an interest in the North American stuff. Was because at this time, Tom, when Lima was very popular in the eighties and nineties, um, you had Atlas. Yeah, Atlas has been surpassed by other potentially other manufacturers. although their stuff is still pretty pretty reliable. You had Atlas, and then Proto Two Thousand came out, and it just dropped on the track, and it ran. Whereas your Lima, some of your Lima models either ran at a hundred mile an hour or didn't run at all yeah. Um, yeah was the big was the big difference okay so so you went through the... so after your, your teenage years of bumming footplate rides and going... Uh, <laughs> Going, going, <laughs> crashing cars in the in the attic and the, on the model railway. When did you, when you? Was it before you discovered girls and cars, or was it after you discovered girls and cars that you decided that model railways was more than just crashing cars?
1: No, it's it was quite a while after really. I, I kind of just fell into. I don't know how I fell into it, but really. I just got in an interest in it all of a sudden, and then started building sort of because I've only lived in sort of a small house. I mean. The houses in the UK nowadays aren't really big at all, unless you have sort of got a lot of money or live out in the sticks. Um, so you know, when you live in towns and stuff, houses are quite small. So you have to adapt to that and build small layouts. So the first layout I ever built for myself was made from three box files, um, and it was just an end to end with two points on it, and, and it's called a little, it's just a little yard called Pilot Road. And it went to a few shows, and it just sat on top of the wardrobe, stacked up on three box files. And that was my first ever attempt at building a layout to take to exhibitions. And after a while, it got a bit boring, because you can only do so much with a box file. Um, and it had a, um, a magazine feature in Model Rail, because it was quite unique, and not many people had done that kind of thing before. So it kind of spurred me on a little bit to do something else. So I built a couple of other sort of little depot layouts. Um, and I was doing a lot on our web then as well. So I kind of started getting a bit of a name for myself for doing sort of grimy, dirty diesel fuel points, that kind of thing, which were just micro mm-hmm. stuff. Um,
0: okay, so how, long, how long were these layouts?
1: So, so they were only, I think the ones I did were only sort of four foot... Um, maximum about six foot so the, you know you'd only have like a foot fiddly yard with about five foot scenic um so they're easy enough to put in the back of a car or you could stack them up in a wardrobe or one top of the, a cupboard somewhere out of the way and then get them out and take them to a show and it was easy to sort of take out and you know take it out to shows wherever you want it because you had you can just stick on the back of your seat your car check it in the boot and away you go um, and i started getting a bit of a Reputation for doing small layouts. Um, I built a layout called Warrington roads which um, my wife Lacey came with me to the first ever show she came with me to to do, and the guy approached us and said he wanted to buy the layout. And I don't think she realised how much money was in buying, you know, buying and selling model railways at the time. And we sold the layout really well, and she sort of said, you know there is something here, you've got something here, there's a there's a business here, you could take advantage of this. So it's her idea to set up the little layout company. And she came up with the name, the Facebook page, the website. And we were a little bit naive, really, because we thought, you know, yeah, this is great. We'll, you know, we'll put a couple of layouts a year. There's not going to be much market for it. And it's kind of just, it's just in the last two, three years, it's just taken off just in, in crazy.
0: So, um, so when so when this first started, you were working, right?
1: Yes, yeah, so I was. I was working full time for Perkins Engines. So for Tom, that is um, kind of Perkins Engines. Like we build, uh, we built three and four cylinder industrial diesel engines for sort of low loaders, skip loaders, uh, and forklift trucks, that kind of thing. Um, so I don't know if you know, we the Perkins Engines is now part of Caterpillar. So we worked for Caterpillar for pretty much for 14 years um, and I ran their um, three and four-cylinder paint plant so everything that came through the plant went through my section and I just ran all the paint systems on there um, and I just uh, is getting to the point where you know we we're starting to get a lot of orders and we said if we got the money we'd set up as a full-time business um, and luckily that year I got offered redundancy so I took the redundancy and it's yeah, we used the money from the redundancy to open the business.
0: Okay, so how? So when was that? How long ago was that? So that was
1: in December two thousand and sixteen, I think.
0: Okay. Yeah, two
1: years. So we've been open two years this this month actually. So yeah, yeah, June, June, yeah, June twenty sixteen. I believe we opened.
0: Okay, so so we've been going two years, and how yeah. many how many layouts did you built for people before you decided to use the redundancy money to set this up for to, to, to so set we, up full time?
1: We built we built quite a lot of layouts, as you know, Gordon. We built one for you, didn't we? Two three for you. <laughs> so we built three O gauge ones for Gordon, um, which were pretty much the first couple of layouts we ever built. Um, I think you came on the scene quite early on, didn't you? When we um, when we started up. Yeah, um, well,
0: so I, I, my first encounter with you guys was, you'd built a layout, um, and you'd put it on eBay, and it was a, it had a very, very nice farm scene on it, and it was, um, all, yes, I think it was, was only an Nook or something. Mil- yeah, that was Millwood. And you built that, you sold it, and then someone sold it back to you for whatever reason, and you would put it on eBay, or you'd put it on eBay on their behalf, and that was how I got in. Touch you guys because you'd put on the eBay listing. By the way, we build layouts, yeah. and I remember just speculating sending you an email saying uh, <laughs> how much would it be to build a to build a small layout. Yeah, so I remember because at the time I was working uh, I was working full time for the NHS, so it wasn't uh, practical at the time. Yeah. I was working 35-hour shifts and things like that. It wasn't really great for me to do to do anything. But you'd built. It wasn't just me that. It wasn't just my layouts. You didn't build those three layouts for me just before you... <laughs> or before you'd set up full-time. Yeah. Um,
1: so in total, up to date, we've probably built about... probably nearly probably 50, 60 layouts now in about four years. Um, some of the layouts that we built originally when we first started were layouts that I built for myself to take to shows. They probably last a year before I got bored of them and then sold them on. And a couple of them are still doing shows now. Mm-hmm. Um, Millwood was... One I built for myself that I, I sold, it came like you say it came back. I did, I think I did two shows with it when it came back, and I, I basically I finished it because it wasn't finished when I first sold it, so I redid it, um, sort of put cobot motors on, redid all the back scenes, redid all the scenery and everything, like that, and then it went for quite a decent price in the end. So we, I kind of just sort of started building laps for myself and then selling them every year to make some money for the next one. Um, and then it just kind of spiraled out of control.
0: <laughs> so, is there is there like a limit on the size of these layouts that you build?
1: We started off with the limit because we didn't have the space. So, we we're working from um, from a spare bedroom in our house, um, and we could only build anything really to about twelve foot long by about two or three foot wide. Um, so, we the layouts were we, we were building were micros. That's why we called them the little out because we were intentionally. Going to sell, build and sell small layouts for people, you know, and we based it around that. But we started to get a lot more people contacting us for different types of layouts, different sizes, loft layouts, garage layouts, um, and bigger and bigger and bigger layouts. We still we still like to do, you know, we still base ourselves on little layouts. Everything we take to our exhibitions now is based on a small layout. Um, the current one we're doing, we're building at the moment, is only six foot because we want to be renowned for doing small layouts because that's what we've always done.
0: And so, yeah, okay, right. I'm just forming how I'm going to tackle the next question that's coming <laughs> coming my way. So, you know, is this you've what kind of so let's talk scales. So, what kind of scales have you worked in then with while you built these layouts? It earlier double O, wasn't it so
1: we yeah that's know, right. for so everyone else yeah so i've always been a double o modeler for myself my own stock is double o um I, I model sort of mid 90s to 2000s a bit of 80s diesel stuff so um british br blue sector that kind of stuff um so I, you know i i i love doing sort of small diesel depots we've done stuff in N gauge, o gauge um you know the majority of stuff we build really is double O and engage this is the most popular in the uk to build those layouts engage purely because of the space people want to cram as much as they can into engage into a small space and it's ideal cuz you can get sort of tail chasing layouts in a 6x4 space um 00 seems to be now more going towards people more sort of more realistic modeling if you like more higher end modeling double gauges now we've sort of seen a lot of layouts where people want a lot of high detail a lot of exhibition standard layout detail um instead of just sort you of saw your sort of your toy train set stuff so a lot of people are modeling end-to-end stations terminus stations small yards or loading bays and we we do a lot of diesel depot stuff because of the space
0: Okay, I get that. Okay, and so, so we're looking at kind of layouts like twelve foot by by two foot, so they're not huge, just for the benefit of people with their four thousand square foot basements um, <laughs> and multiple levels and blah blah blah. And and they've also got to be extremely portable. So, so you mentioned their different detail levels. What what options What options do you offer as a company?
1: so we, we came up with well lacy came up with originally a, 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 um, a five-stage process that we try to we'd try and use as a, a pricing um basis so we basically came up with this set of stat, uh, stages that we built onto a, um, a showboard. so this this these stages go from um stage one which is just baseboards and trestles stage two which is your baseboards and your track Stage three is baseboards, track, wiring point motors. Stage four is um, boards track, point motors, wiring, ballasting, and a little bit of you know basic scenery. And stage five is obviously the full the full deal exhibition standard layout with high detail um, and all the you know, figures, everything like that you can get into a layout that you want to see at an exhibition. Mm-hmm. Okay cool.
0: No, it's, that's that's cool. So, so basically, you've taken your hobby and turned it into your full-time business.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
0: a lot of people's a lot of people's dreams. So, uh, if you're building sixty, no offense, but you said you'd built sixty layouts in four years. Now, yeah, if, unless these layouts are all the size of a beer mat. <laughs> something you've done on on your own. So, yeah. how how does that help? do? You have people that help you do different bits of it, or something? so
1: yeah. So we're, we're quite a small family based team. So my wife Lacey, she works full time and um, in another job for um, for the local local council. Um, but she helps with with shows. She helps with advertising, with emails, with organising myself, with what I'm doing on my calendars and stuff, and where I'm going. Um, his father, my father-in-law, Alan. He's our carpenter. So he does everything that's anything to do with woodwork. He helps fit layouts with me. Um, and he pretty much builds anything out of wood we can find him to do. Um, I've also got two other guys that are really helpful with um, weathering and building custom building kits. Um, so James Styles, who's who does our um, custom buildings, anything scratch-built, he'll build it. With lighting and that kind of stuff in it um, and Paul Wright who does all our DCC fitting and weathering uh, custom weathering for locos and stuff so we, we try and portion it out to each other where if we get a job in we needs baseboards building Alan will build the boards ready for me to do the track work and I'll do the scenics and the wiring then we put the guys in touch with Paul who can do their DCC fitting or weathering if they want it doing or if they want any custom buildings James can do the custom buildings. So we try and split as much as we can up. We don't always build one layout at a time. We build, we're building several at the same time. Um, we do on-site work as well all over the country. So we've you know, we traveled as far as Inverness um, all the way yeah, down. you
0: didn't come and stop for a coffee, did yeah. you? Yeah,
1: I mate.
0: epically failed, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I did epically fail, yeah. Um, and we're doing all the all like all the way down to the south of the UK, so. We're pretty much nationwide now. We've got a couple of where we're looking at possibly abroad as well, um, in Spain or France. And one day we might be able to get out to the US as well. Um,
0: okay, you not, yeah. What do you reckon, <laughs> Tom?
2: <laughs> the, the, oh, my there's my hope layout. for me. I might get a finished layout there. That
0: would. Be great. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a bit of. I think. Can I, let me ask you this, Tom. Neil. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, I was gonna. When we talked about the the dream of you're in this hobby, you make your you make a, your hobby your business, yeah. And here in the states, a lot of guys want to start a hobby shop or this or DCC installs. Do you still have a layout? And what I'm asking is, how do you keep the interest in the hobby for yourself if you're doing it as
1: your job every day? So. So I try, it's hard because you're building everybody else's dream layouts so and a lot of the plans you put down on paper are plans that you think, oh, that would be great, I'd love to build that. Um, I try and keep, with, with what we try and do with our exhibition stand is I try and build a new layout every year to keep that stand fresh. And that's where my interest is. I can build a small layout, which I love building small layouts. I'm, you know, I wouldn't be great at building a large layout for myself because it doesn't interest me, I'd rather build a small layout for myself. So I try and build a small layout every year that I can take to shows. So that is my layout, if you like. Um, and I put all my efforts into that, how I want that layout to be for the shows for that year. So once that show, all the shows done for those years, I'll either sell it or one of the guys will take it off me. Um, and then we'll build another one for that year. So that is where I sort of keep my inspiration, and my, you know, my motivation is for doing my own stuff. I haven't got a layout. I don't have a layout at home because we just haven't got the space at the moment, or the time to do it. So, yeah, it's um, I just keep it for the for the, sh- the small show layouts that we build.
2: Okay, very good.
0: There you go. You can always do a commission. We'll come on to how we do a commission in a minute. <laughs> um, okay, so. We're building layouts in all different sizes. I did have a question. I forgot what it was, but I, I shall I shall just wander away and try to find the question that I had. Um,
2: well, you talked about you were you were younger. You built all these layouts, and, and people thought they were really good. So, as you started the hobby, who inspired you to improve? Who? How did you get your modeling to the point where you could build a layout that people want to purchase? You know, what was your your teenage or younger path that improved? Because I've seen your web page you have beautiful buildings and weathering and locals and things running so where where was your inspiration from
1: i I don't know really i I kind of just looking through magazines through on the internet you know i always looked around at what other people were building and how i could do it better than they could um you know looking at how other people have built buildings how they've weathered them just like teaching myself new techniques more than anything else um yeah just just I just I just like to get on, with it. you know. I, I've got a bit of an eye for for the artistic stuff, I think, and you know I, I might not be very good at drawing or writing and stuff, but once you give me a, a scene to create, I can create it and I can create it to a really high standard. So I think I just go with it. And you now I've used techniques that people probably don't even use, and they think mm, I won't do that, but it just turns out quite well. Um, so I just have a go, <laughs> I guess. But you know I do I do like you know I watch sort of stuff on youtube and stuff like that and i think well, i will not want to do it like that and i try it and i learn you know i find a different way so you're
2: you're always learning that's the that's that's a good right. point okay you're always that's always it. working on improving and yeah, i it. suppose by building all these layouts you get to try it that's where right the rest of the rest of us kind of think how do i do led lighting well you're actually doing it yeah. all the time i see so your skills are
1: moving up so, quick. So, so, for instance, like you know, for many years I'd always sworn by using—I don't know if you use like seat seat point motors that kind of stuff, the solenoid point motors. So I'd always use solenoid point motors, um, and then you know, I sort of, and I was always a little bit skeptical about the slow motion stuff. They always looked a bit bulky, like tortoise motors or you know DCC concept stuff, um, the cobalt motors. And I always been a bit skeptical about you know, do they work? Now how the you know, they, you know and I sort of had a go with them, and I thought these are great. And now I try and market that stuff because it saves me a lot more time than what it does soldering tabs onto, you know, solving on the point motors and stuff like that. Um, so it's just like learning those things to sort of better myself in the business to make myself more economical by learning new techniques to make myself more economical. That makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. It does. So... Let's talk about like genres of different types of layouts and stuff that you model. So yeah. you've not only d- a lot of the stuff you guys do is British stuff. Yes. So a lot of the NMRA guys listening to this from the British region are right now going, "Gordy, you've lost the plot." <laughs> however, right, However, um, I know this is of interest to other people, and I also know that not only have you obviously built layouts for me, which I can have promised you all, were of course O-Scale, they were of course 2-Rail, they involved spiking track, but yeah. they definitely were not British. <laughs> uh. So, but you've done, haven't you done other, have you done other Layouts from that are not being British layouts. Yeah,
1: I have, I've done a HO um, switching layout which was about eight foot. Um, which um, we used a lot of Wolfer's kits and basically just threw the instruction book away and rebuilt all the kits by ourselves um, to fit the layout. Um bad deal with Wolfer's stuff. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that was that was called Elmwood Yard, which is on our uh, Facebook page, I believe. And that, that goes to shows in the UK. He does attend a few NMRA shows, I think, this side of um, sort of East Angular area. Um, I, think he's, I think he's part of the NMRA with the guy who owns it. Um, so he's he does a few shows with that. Um, obviously, we've done the o stuff for Gordon. Um, we're also doing a um, Swiss layout, which is based on a sort of Swiss overhead. Um, read layout, which is based on a depot in Switzerland, just coming up later this year. So yeah, we're trying not to sort of stay in the same. You know, very easy for me to stay doing the you know the modern image stuff because a lot of people is, is it's in high demand at the moment. But we do a lot of stuff, sort of you know, in the Great Western Region stuff, Southern Railway Region stuff.
0: Uh, and is that steam?
1: Steam stuff. Yeah, we do quite a lot of steam layouts. Um, yeah, and I, I like doing the I like doing the American stuff because it's it's a different it's a different style of buildings and different style of weathering and different style of building layout. You know? um, and So the been,
0: the American stocks obviously obviously American stocks a lot longer yeah. than British stock, but you've still managed to put a micro layout Well, an eight foot switching layout isn't a huge uh, ask of anyone. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, do, do you think that it's still possible to do micro layouts with U.S. prototypes? Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: easily, easily, because, you know, even if, just because the wagons are longer doesn't mean you need, you know, a huge, huge amount of space. I think we get hung up in that you need a lot of space for long trains, because that's what people see nowadays. Um, you know, you, you can get, you know, the imagine, you just use your imagination, you can have a low and four wagons and just shut them around all day long. You know on a small board that's four foot you know and that is a micro layout you know you look at the old you know the inglenook um process that they, they use of all over the, all over the world really now and it's it, it lends itself so well to the to the u.s to fan for the micros the for all, for all sorts of gauges and scales um you know it, it's, it's more it's a lot more fun you know i, like, I love having a layout just to shunt a loco around especially with the sound stuff now because you you get more you get more out of the sound, um, DCC sound on small layouts and micro layouts because you can you can really get the sound going with the loco, with the DCC. You know, you're not sort of it's not sort of running on a layout that's forty foot, and you just hear the sound go off in the distance. You're actually using the sound to its full capability by going up and down the notches, using the horns, using brakes, using you know putting compressors on that kind of stuff. Um, So that's where, you know, microlabs are great for that kind of stuff as well.
0: Yeah, I disagree. Did you
2: ever build a Fremo modules? Do customers request anything like that that they could incorporate in a layout, but then you also have to, they could go to a North American modeler's Fremo show or a European Fremo?
1: Yeah, I haven't done a lot of Fremo stuff. I've been to see a few, and I would like to do some Fremo stuff. Um, I'm doing a, doing a layout in London um, later on early next year where he's got an exhibition layout that we're going to slot into his. Cur- you know, we're building him a new layout in a garage, and his his current exhibition layout is basically going to slot into that and be part of his ex- his garage layout. And then he can slide that back out and take it to an exhibition on its own. So it's kind of like kind of in a way free mode in a way, but I would like to do a free mode system and sort of. Join other Fremo guys. I've got a friend who does the Fremo stuff, um, and he always sort of posts on Facebook and on web and places like that with his and um, things. They look great. You know, it's something that I'd like to do. Well, yeah, I've never been asked to do one yet. No, yeah. Okay. You,
0: you'll be doing T track next. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: There's the ultimate, the ultimate little layout.
2: <laughs> What's that? T T-T?
0: T, no T track. So T tracks with the T track is a thirteen inch by thirteen inch module that I... had kat, Kato Uni track on the front, and they all bolt. They just clip together with the, using the Uni track rail joiners. Okay, um, and then people can do different things. They do them in. Um, they are literally the ultimate micro layout and micro modular format because in Japan they. Um, they do this uh, t-track stuff with school children and then they have a they have a uh, uh, like um, a prize every year and whoever wins the prize for the best t-track module from all these school children in japan gets flown out to the national train show in the us with their module huh, and uh, get to go around the national train show at the expense of, of kato japan so um, it is it is quite a big thing it's becoming yeah. more popular uh but obviously, in the US, it's, it's it, in the US. There's a lot more space inside the house and outside. So even you know, uh, modular. There's many modular standards, and most of them are very popular because you can do a meet and and you know get a big big space. Uh, especially at big train shows, there is big modulars. Mo- there was a huge fremo at um, the Amherst show in in Springfield, Massachusetts in January, it was like two hundred foot long. So, really? and that wasn't even the only layout in the room. Yeah. So, are they, are they all
1: like sort of are they are they guys from clubs or are they sort of independent modellers?
0: There, you know, a- what? there's a mix. I think there's a there's a mix. Um, obviously, organisations like the NMRA bring a lot of people together. Uh, both independently and within groups and within divisions. That's the whole great big advantage of the NMRA. Yeah, um, Is that you can be a lone wolf and still be a member of the NMRA and then still be able to go and turn up to a big event and catch up with people. So I think it's a bit of a mix to be fair, but there are some modular, specific modular groups in more densely populated areas that will have a particular standard. Some of those, to be fair, some of those standards are quite old. So some of those layouts are quite Heavy to move. Um, there was mod. I met a modular group um, from near from just outside Boston, and one of their modules was called Big Bertha. <laughs> no more needs to be said. Yeah. <laughs> However, apart from apart from it would it would give you the fastest turn here in Massachusetts if you <laughs> lifted it the wrong way. Um, whereas the freemo guys, obviously, it's um, it's much more lightweight modern techniques because it's a more more uh, recent standard. So, so yeah, I think that's kind of, kind of the way the way that one's going. So let's let's talk right. Let's get back to the little layouts. So, yep. um, so how does a commission? So, so talk us. I want you to talk us through the process, but give us the opportunity to ask questions. Sure. Um, don't go off at a hundred mile an hour now. <laughs> um, talk us through the process of because we. People are always fascinated by like how do I get in there and how would I do a commission. So, so just talk us through the process from the very beginning of gathering your information as to and then the wants and needs of the customer through to you know the the final finished delivery of the finished products. Can you just talk us let's talk just talk through that process? Yes. Yeah. So, if so, if
2: so. Gordon and I give you yeah. a thousand pounds, yeah, and we want a time saver, <laughs> how do we how do we contact you and when do we get it?
0: It'd be so, gold-plated it gold in it. would Gold-plated, yeah. You yeah. have to, a uh, grand, you have to just ask, You the first question you ask Tom, and I'm t- totally stealing Neil's it the <laughs> first question you ask is, is, where's my slot in the order book? One, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, basically. Natural, yeah. yeah. All right, go on, sorry. Go so, on, Neil. So, so, we've, so got a, we've got a grand to spend, so right, how do we so work with
1: that? So we, you'd usually just contact us through our Facebook page or website, and, um, Or just give us a call on our shop off the website. We'd then just take, you know, have a bit of a chat with you on just on a friendly basis. Just what your whereabouts you are in the country, what you're, you know, what sort of thing you're looking for. Um, We try not to skirt around the budget stuff because not everybody has the same budget. You know, what we what we class as building a layout for a budget is you might think, oh, Jesus, that's a bit expensive. so then we, we take a lot of details. We always try and work with the customers as close as we can. So we keep them involved with every single step that we do. So we'll initially get all the details through through them, what they want, what they're looking for, DC or DCC, you know, tail chase or end-to-end, um, you know, if they want point motors, what gaze they're working in, what stage they want us to build it to, You know if they want to do the scenery or if they want to do the wiring or if they just want the boards. Um, and we talk to them about everything they want from them on railway um, where they're going to house it. We try and get pictures of places like lofts. If we think it's, you know, we need to go and do a site visit, we'll go and do a site visit. You know, we'll go and measure up, we'll go and meet the customer, have a cup of tea, a bit of a chat, which is always great because you put a name to the face in the stores. If you're doing stuff over email, you, you, you know, you don't always get to, to meet the people. Who you who you're working for, and you can get a good feel for those people as well, what they what sort of things they're into. Um, once we've done that, we'll draw up a plan, we'll draw up a track plan. So that's the first one of the first stages, we'll draw them a track plan. Once they're happy with that track plan, we'll go into a quote and we'll do the quote. We'll give them all the details so they know exactly what they're getting. So we'll, you know, what point mode is, what gauge it is. Um and what, what section they are and then we always ask for a 40% deposit so that secures the bill into our schedule so once we've got the, them into our schedule we we'll always keep in contact with them we'll always let them know where they are what we're doing you know, they can always see on our Facebook page of what bills we're into we're always happy for our customers to contact to say you know how far am I off my bills where is it you know what stage am I at and um, we always, as we go along through the build, once we start the build, we'll let the customer know we've started the build. We'll always ask them if, we, if they're happy to put them on Facebook. So we always try and put the builds on Facebook as we go in stages. So they, they'll have their own folder on Facebook that we can put the photos into and they can go on there any time, show their friends, have a look. And at any time they can say, mm, I don't really like that, could we change that? And we you know we, we don't, we not very often get it wrong, but sometimes we do, we're all human, but um, you know, and there's always changes, some things aren't right, you know, some things don't work on paper as they do on, in reality. So we do try and change things. If we are going to change things, we'll always get in touch with the customer and let them know. So once we've got the build done, we'll always show them the final products. we we'll always invite them in, into the workshop if, they're, so, you know, if they want to travel down to our workshops, have a bit of a play with the layout, see what it's like, So it runs, see if it's what they expected. Um, and then we'll, if they're happy, we'll either deliver... Install it in their room or wherever they want to do it. Give them a bit of a demo on how to run the layout, and then away they go.
0: That's cool. So yeah, that's kind of the process we followed. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. Um, <laughs> we, did a, we did a kind of bespoke, oddy process, but that's yes. First. yes.
2: So, do you have a sheet for them to fill out? Because I'm like, I see all these little details, like. Gordon's building a house, I mean, they're going to ask, you've got to ask them what color ballast you want, what kind of, of, I mean, how
1: detailed, that's got to be pretty pretty specific. Yeah, so as we're going through the build, once we get to that point, you know, I'll ask them what point modes they want to use. If they don't want to use, if they're not, you know, not really worried about what point modes, they'll leave it to my discretion. I mean, a lot of our customers are really good because they trust our expertise and what we know, what we know what we're talking about, we know what we're doing, and they'll let us sort of, you know, just give us a little bit of freedom to do it, as long as they've got a model row that you know resembles what they want and what their brief is. Ninety-nine percent of the time, the customers are pretty happy. Um, you know, when we'll always ask them, sort of, you know, what sort of grass do you want? Do you want, you know, do you want some nice, smooth grass, or you don't want, it, you know, over, overgrown in areas, or you know, what color ballast do you want to use? What sort of track work do you want to use? You know, do you want it hand built? Do you want it custom stuff off the shelf? Um, you know, Gordon likes his hand-built spike stuff, so he caused me a headache with that. Hang on a
0: minute! I deliver... <laughs> Hang on a minute! Let's just get this right. I deliver you pretty much half-done, half-built track work. You know, you get built-built turnouts that just literally need spiking down. I'm not that bad. I don't ask you to build the turnouts from scratch. <laughs> Let's get that. So let's just get something straight. <laughs> I deliver your buildings. I deliver your detail parts. But yeah. that's me. That's that's a kind just, of different kind of customer from somebody who's you know maybe never built a model what? railway before, a model railroad before. So you know,
1: it is, it is difficult because a lot of our customers are. There's such a varied range of customers, so we get you know young young guys who are just coming into the hobby. They want to learn. You know, they want to know about stuff. But they want something quite simple so you have to kind of educate them in a way and like sort of steer in the right direction you get a lot of older generation who don't have a lot of time to build layouts or they've lost a bit of dexterity but they still want an exhibition layout they still want something that they can run but they can't they're not able to build it but they know what exactly what they want um, and we get sort of in the middle where you know they kind of they know what they want but they're not sure um, and you kind of sort of got steer them in the right direction as well so um, we try and work with every single customer it doesn't matter what ex- you know what sort of experience they got on the railways if they're novices if they're quite advanced we work with them either way so and we always ask them what they want you know what is their model railway um, and a lot of the time I try and leave something at the end for them to do because I'm always conscious of that I built them a model railway and I don't want them to go away and say oh you know this is my model railway. Somebody else built it for me. I want them to add something to it. I want them to personalize it. So I try and leave things like signs or figures or little details like crates and barrels, so they can add them to it um, and then personalize it. It makes it their model railway, and they've contributed to that layout.
2: That's a that's a good thing to add. I you know that I never would have thought that you'd do that, but yeah, I suppose people want to build up so far. Yeah, you know, use your skills for the frame and the track and the wiring and everything else, and, and then they can do that. That's great.
1: Yeah, because yeah. not, not everybody's got, I mean, like, it's took me a long time to, to learn the skills of all of, of every, of, you know, pretty much every aspect of Birmingham Railways. It took me all this time to learn those skills. Not everybody's been lucky enough to be able to do it full time and, and learn those skills quite quickly. So, you know, you get a lot of people that are really good at woodwork or they're really good at track laying or they're really good at wiring or they, they, they're they happy to do the scenery themselves. So you kind of, you know, we kind of just slot in where they don't have the expertise or the skills.
0: Yeah, and I think it's worth just talking about kind of... So my approach to this with, with yourself was that I had some buildings, I had some things built, I had some track work built but I needed it all put in together and I can remember giving you your hand, your first spiking lesson <laughs> in your spare room.
1: Yeah. Like, this
0: is how you spike track. However, this is my one this is my one day off this year kind of thing. Yeah. Um back in the day when we did the when we did the first first part of the layout. Um and, and, and stuff and and that was the first US prototype layout you'd built and it, yeah. it was a really good process because you are you offer such a bespoke service where you can, um, you can let you do everything. You you can do it up to a certain point, as you said, but you can also provide things as well because there's a lead time, isn't there, between yeah. you taking an order and and actually building it. So if if you want to be contributing to your layout, then you know you can do that as long as you can get the bits to you. That's right. You've still got quite a lot of bits of mine, but anyway, yeah, um, cool. <laughs> you've got a building somewhere, in my You've got a building kit of mine somewhere. In my, um, I've but got some stock of yours. <laughs> have you got some stock of mine? I wondered where that was. <laughs> 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 I'm sure you've got. I'm sure there's an Atlas RS one, no, no. a scale RS one, knocking it around somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah. I mean, that's a that's a great process, and and so, um, kind of a difficult subject, but but. Um, I guess, without leading into, without giving away any business stuff, I'm not asking you to do that. But, but kind of, um, if we were, what's the kind of price range for a layout from yourselves? What would be kind of like the minimum, roughly ballpark for the smallest layout to to the biggest layout? If that layout was done to an exhibition standard. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, this is always a hard question because it's always dependent on what the size is, what you want from the layout. So if you wanted a full exhibition layout, say, um, take take for instance our, our our current show layout, which is Starson Park. So take that. It's nine foot by 16 inch, um, hand-built track on it, fully detailed, scratch-built buildings on it, cobalt point motors, all DC fitted. You're looking at about two and a half grand for that. So that's what that kind of stands at, um, just for a 9 foot by a 16 foot. If you're looking at sort of a large a large loft layout, which is probably, what, 15 foot by about 10 foot, um, you know, sort of four main running lines with, you know, a, lot, a bit of yard work and, you know, some sidings and stuff, you're probably looking up towards, you know, with, with sort of like 70-odd points with point motors, sort of an ECOS control system, you're looking at about ten grand. So it, the price, you know, it's all dependent on size, the amount of track work you're using, what track work you are using, um, and how you want to power it and what you want to run it with, and how far we go with that as well. So the you know, price does really vary.
2: Will you supply motor power and cars if the customer...
1: Yeah. yeah. That? Okay. Yeah, sure, yeah. So so we can we'll go out and source those locos if people want those locos. So we have we have trade accounts with suppliers like sort of Backman and sort of Hornby, Gage Master, people like that. And that we can get those, you know, we can get all our layout building supplies from, but we can also get locos and, and stock from. And we can we can D C C fit those and weather and detail them for the customer as well to however they want them doing.
0: How
2: do you Tom. handle? You
0: can see, Tom, right now is planning himself a micro I am. layout, dock <laughs> and everything.
2: It is. I can, I'll have a finished layout. I'll have a finished layout. <laughs> Neil, how do you handle peak customers' expectations? You know, with weathering and this, and that because that can be fussy. You, so, you know, I know point motor is one thing, but
1: how do you how do you handle sometimes that that portion yeah, so
0: of the business?
1: So Paul's really Paul who does Paul who does all all weathering. He's really good because he does all my stuff for me. And, um, he knows my expectations for my layout, for my locos. So he usually tries to work from photos of the real thing. So what, he, what he'll do is he'll get so he gets an email inquiry from myself. I say I've got you know two locos I want one in He'll come back with well, you can either have it you know at this stage, and he'll send me a photo, or well, you can have it like this. And then I'll go back and say, yeah, well, I'll have it like sort of, you know, a, a stage three basic weathering, fairly light. So he'll do the weathering. And then before he matt varnishes that, he'll send me a photo of it. And he'll say, is this, ha- are you happy with this? Do you want less or do you want more? So oh, once wow, wow. Yeah. So so once I'm happy, you know, I'll probably say, oh, yeah, I want more. I, I like my locos filthy anyway. So, you know, I'll say I want more. So he'll send me another photo once he's put more on. Once I say, yeah, that's okay, I'm happy with that, he will varnish it then. And then he'll send me a photo of the finished loco before I receive it. And he just does that with all his his weatheriness, all his stock. And a lot of his DCC sound stuff now, he'll take videos of them and send them to the customer and say, this is what the sound, are you happy with the sound, do you want me to tweak the speaker or anything like that? So we try and be as, as bespoke as we can with that as well. So there are companies in the UK which Gordon will know who they are. You know, it's very you know when you get a weathered loco from backman it's very generic it's very they all sort off production like, oh, it all looks the same we try and do all, yeah. all of it's completely different or the same as what you would get from the real thing from the photo
2: so you give a lot of feedback that's really important okay yeah. cool
1: good, so, good good
0: yeah yeah it's good and you can see what the guys are doing on on your facebook page which is the yeah. little layout company which you can find on facebook and you know you are pretty good at uh, at your social media, either you're talking to two of the anime social media people. Tom is our Twitter expert, and I'm doing all the Facebooky stuff. So yeah. you know, we see what we see what you and Lacey do on on Facebook, and you know, yeah. it's uh, it's always the good way. And I suppose where so I suppose where do you get most of your? Where does your business come from? Is it is it from Facebook and, and social media, or is it from we
1: built from we've shows? Built, yeah, we built our business on Facebook. You know, we I think we're nearly up to about two thousand followers on Facebook now. Um, for a small business, that's great. You know, it's fantastic. Um, and built, we built. That's where we started, and that's where we'll always always stay. We we hardly ever advertise in magazines. Magazines purely because it's just so expensive. And for a small company to to be able to afford their rates of, in magazines every month in three or four magazines in the UK, it costs a fortune. So we, we, we did hit the shows quite hard last year. So we did a lot of the national shows for, for British Railway Modelling Magazine. I don't know if you know that one, Tom, at all. Um, so yeah. it's like one of the major magazines in this country. So they do three shows nationally every year um, all over the country. And we tried to hit a lot of the bigger shows last year. And we did get quite a lot of work from that. But the shows are exhausting. They're very tiring. Um, and we've done really well in that. A lot of our customers have come through either Facebook or through just locally through a workshop or through my um, website. So we haven't done a lot of advertising at all. It actually scares me if I did a lot of advertising because I'd have to set people on. <laughs> You'd
0: have to take more people.
1: <laughs> on, yeah. take more people on, so. Have you Have you ever thought
2: about sponsorship? Because your business, you know, you're building so many, yeah. and they're keeping more people are coming word of mouth the quality you know you can see somebody saying hey little layout company uses you know abc point motors for reliabilities." you know little layout company uses so and so track and turn you know yeah. have you ever thought about that or
1: so we, we are doing that this year with our new our new show layouts. the one we're building at the moment which is our facebook page um we are working with dcc concepts so using their products for the track work and the point motor system and for the um we're using a power an NC power cab which they supplied, so we'll be advertising their company on our on the layout. Um, we're also losing another company that do a lot of um, sort of bespoke laser cut kits. Sort of, so so um, they're called model railway scenery. And Justin's been really good because he's worked. You know, we've adapted a few kits into his into his range where we've found a need that we need this kit. He's made those kits for us, and then, then they've gone into his product range for his on his website. So he's used that kit that we we've, we've sort of made up between ourselves and, and sold it onto to his customers. So we're going to advertise his his, his business on there as well, so that people can see affiliates with those people. Um, you know, it's it's hard to get any affiliation out of people like Pico and Batman because they're not really interested. You know. Um, we're just yeah, they're interested in bulk holders through Hattons and a lot of the other bigger companies in the UK. So um, we're just a small company that buys very little from them.
0: That's because you are army of model railroaders actually <laughs> <trying to> <laughs> satisfy the demand.
2: Yeah, so are thought. you on Twitter? Is your is your little L company on Twitter
1: um, or not? No, we're not on Twitter, but I might have to get onto it. The, the, the hardest thing is it's keep it's, it's very hard, and Facebook's quite. We're on Facebook and Instagram. So we put a lot of stuff on Instagram, we put a lot of stuff on Facebook. The hardest thing is, is time, and to sort of do all these different social media platforms and put different stuff on and keep it up to date every day. So we always try and put one or two posts on Facebook every day. So it keeps people coming back, it keeps people interested in what you're doing, you know, we try and do photos and videos of everything we do. So not just our customers can see, but everybody else can see what other people are having built, and it gives them an idea of think, oh, yeah, you know, that looks great. You know, I don't mind doing something like that. And we do have people who have been following us for about a year, and they come back to us and say, I've been following you for a year. I've always been meaning to look at having something built. I've just seen you build this, and it's really like piqued my interest now. So, you know, Facebook just does really well for us i was waiting for them to start charging us someday because it was going to happen. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah, well, but we'll talk another time about cross-posting between Facebook <laughs> and Twitter. We can help yeah. you there.
1: Yeah, that um, sounds good.
0: <laughs> it's something that we do on a daily basis. Um, but so, so that's really cool. So, if what if somebody did want a layout and was not in the UK?
1: How would you how would you tackle that? Good question. <laughs> we haven't we haven't quite worked that out yet. So we've had inquiries from places. We've had inquiries from Ireland. We've had an inquiry today from France, and we've had an inquiry earlier in the year from Spain. Um, we're kind of trying to treat it as we would with our on-site work, where we we'd obviously have to charge for travel, for time there, for hotels, food, that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's just the same as doing it on an on site job in the UK. You know, when we never say never to anything because I think it once you start saying no to stuff, you start to get a reputation of saying no to stuff and people think, Oh, they're too busy, they can't be bothered. And no, We don't want to be that sort of people. You know, we wanna be able to you know, it it might be hard work for me, but that's why I'm in this business so I want to work hard and I want to do something that's you know, one day might retire as a millionaire, you never know, it could happen. <laughs> so, you know. But, yeah, you know, if, if we get something where we've got to go aboard, I'll go and do it.
0: There you go, Tom. Your layout's <laughs> getting finished.
2: It's right there. I'll start sending the plans today. Okay, so. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> <You get>
0: Stock <laughs> up a, stuck a some up tea and biscuits. Sure.
2: Yes,
1: and a 20-foot container. Here we go. Oh. Yeah. Me, me and Lacey love the U.S. So, we, you know, we're out, <laughs> we're, out in in, we're out in Florida in September for a couple of weeks. Oh, um, so you know we we like going out to the US and my father-in-law he loves going out to, he's, he's been all over the US and Canada so he's um, he'd, we'd all jump at the chance to come out there
0: I think we need to I think we need to organize a trip to Springfield
1: yeah definitely you need
0: a work you need a work trip to Springfield in yeah, January fucking against some
1: business <laughs> yeah,
0: so our, yeah. Our Business. I mean just to see the stuff it's, it's yeah. huge
1: so I've got, I've got questions I've got a couple of questions for Tom if that's okay
0: the air crack on. Yes. You may have,
1: oh, yes. Yeah, so some of the, sort of like the, like a small business like we are. So are there many companies like us in the U.S.? No, there
2: there are layout building companies because I think in the U.S. you have the time versus money, yeah, you know, time thing. And you also have a lot of people who have high-end jobs, requirement jobs, and you know, doctors and so forth. And they also live in maybe posher townhouses, you know, homes, apartments, where you you can't saw and glue and solder and do things. Yes, And and they will hire uh, uh, layout builders as a thing. I don't think they'll hire, I, I, don't, I haven't seen it on like the size, you know, you've, you've cornered the British market where the size, yes. the little shelf layout. But, you know, in the United States, I think people will build, you know, bigger ones and stuff like that. There are a few companies with a nice reputation. And, you know, I think Lance Mindheim does that. He's probably the one that comes to my mind. Yes. But, it, you know, it is. You have to charge for what you're worth. Like you said, that's what I was going to ask yeah. you. And I think a lot of people are. You have to have more money than time yes. in the United States to take that in. So, no, that's a good question.
1: Yeah. So is, is it something that's, you know, is, is it on the rise in, in the U.S.? And, that, you know, that kind of thing where, you know, layout builders are sort of, you know, coming to a, you know, as, as a business and that, or were they, is it just not, you know, is there more sort of modelers doing their own stuff than there are people wanting to do it full time?
2: It would be modelers doing their own stuff from, yeah.
1: from everything
2: I've come in contact to and the people all over the country. Everybody does their own in- and it's kind of just if you if you can't do your own if I don't have the carpentry skills yeah I'll just hire a carpenter yeah who knows nothing about trains and like you know put up stud walls and build me a shelf or I'll find a little crew you know in the United States if, where I live is a populous area and there's lots of train train guys yeah I can get I can get a DC I have a DCC guy in my crew. I have a scenery guy in my crew, I have, you know, and I can ask their advice and changes and things like that. So it's kind of, you get help from your friends, but you, nobody really wants to pay someone to build a layout.
1: Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. So it always amazes me that people actually want, that people are paid to build model railways, and we that's why we never thought this would take off, we thought we'd only get a couple of years. But um, the, the the customer base is out there. You know, there are people, like you say, that you know, that have got more, have got money over time, um, and yeah. you know, that will that will pay people to do that kind of stuff for them. And I think, like you said, it comes in a situation
2: where a lot of Americans, middle America, we have basements, we have attics, we have the space, you know, and you can go yeah. at it bit by bit, and you build like the lifetime layout. where maybe you people don't I I would like a layout within seven months to take to a show or have my friends over and be you know be done with it and detail it
1: yeah Uh, so yeah that's quite achievable I mean we we do do a lot of bigger layouts now we do you know we are doing a few uh, sort of double garage size stuff and large loft layouts now so we are seeing that come quite you know we don't it's probably about 50-50 where we're doing big layouts and small layouts now yeah, I think in the U.S. they a lot of times it's they'll
2: have to come to your house. So if, like you said, Florida, if somebody's based in Florida, and I'm in the northern states up in Minnesota, I'm going to have to pay that person to come up and stay and work in my house. You know that adds to the cost yeah. too.
1: Yeah, I can't of,
2: go pick up a thirty by forty double deck layout. So yeah,
1: yeah, because because of the distance and across the country, the, the, the correct the yeah. It's U.S. Yeah, you, you kind of restricted into your state or your Smaller state area, aren't you? I guess to, to like where we can be quite nationwide because we don't have to travel more than sort of nine hours to be across the face of the country. Yeah, uh, uh, you know. Like, I also think this
2: is this is kind of a weird geopolitical thing, but I, in the United States, I think there's a stigma against having someone do your layout for you. If you you know if you posted pictures and do this, and people say, "Well, you didn't do that." Yeah, And I've even seen that on some online threads. People are taking amazing photos, but they've had modelers such as you with such skills build their cars and weather them and do this, and they make a diorama and they take photographs. And people have taken, you know, disdain to the point where they didn't make it. And I've never understood that. I've always thought, well, this is a hobby. You know, if this is where you live, this is what you get to enjoy, your photography, your art, or things like that. I've never... I don't see any shame in getting help or you
1: know, no. finding your weaknesses. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if, you, if you know you can't do it and you don't feel that you can learn, you know, a lot of people aren't confident with electrics. You Correct. know, yeah. you know and a lot of people aren't confident with building, you know, doing woodwork using, you know, electric saws and drills and, you know, and such. But so, you know, you, you wouldn't get, you wouldn't, you know, take a photo of your own house. Um, and put your own windows in because you think you want to have a go, you know. You get somebody professional to do it.
2: Very good. Yeah, especially now with track. Yes. You know, like Gordon. You know, he's spiking, you no, know, getting track. That's amazing. Fast tracks has changed the hobby for me, and yeah. I, now I have people asking me to build track for. You know, hey, build me a crossover or something complex, and I'll do that for them. Mm.
1: And it's quite fun. It's, it inspires me. So. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. and it is. I mean, as long as long as, you, as long as I keep the enjoyment of it, and you know, and it is. If it stays where it's really hard, but you know, that's what I'm in a business for. You know, that's what I'm working for myself for because I benefit from it all. Um, but I, I, I've always got the interest and the motivation to build layouts for people.
2: Yeah, I think in America, what if, if somebody was building? No one is building fremo modules and i think a lot of more people would get into that if there was someone who said here's a here's a frame here's a two by four two by six here's the wiring here's the legs here's this and then you add the scenery you know because there's a lot of people who can't build the high standards that like a fremo needs to join with you know as gordon's seen in the springfield 200 other modules from across the country and maybe the world
0: yeah and that's the challenge though in the uk We've got a lot of companies now that'll laser cut you a baseboard. Yeah. Um, one particularly, one particular company. I'm not going to name them because it's a British region podcast. But one particular company is extremely good and will do you a fully scenic board with the, um, you know, the lighting impelment and everything, full on Ian Rice uh, shadow box. Yeah. Um and they'll do that where you can have middles and ends, left and right ends. You can do full scenic one piece boards up to five foot long. Uh, they'll also there are also baseboard manufacturers that will do you a FREMO standard template. And the FREMO guys in the British region have given their corner module templates to these manufacturers and they will just do one. You phone them up, they'll just they'll just go cut one for you and pop it in the post and you'll get it in a few in a week or two and there's your board and you just it just glues together job done it's taverns and slot and tab construction Bang done you know so that i think you're right tom i think there's a gap in the market in the u.s. for that because i don't see anybody doing it and um, they do do it for t-track though but t-tracks the, the one of the t-track manufacturers has just closed the doors so there's only one baseboard manufacturer for t-track now in the u.s. but there's definitely a market there um, I think there's a market, do you not think with the, with the move in the US of people uh, moving into condos and retirement retirement villages, I don't know what the technical word is for some of them, but we get something similar in the UK now, where it's more of an apart- a, a apartment within sheltered accommodation with services provided, that people are, uh, there's, there may be a growing trend for small layouts in the US in the coming years.
2: I would think so with the with the age you know though the the age group getting older you know the larger po- population in it but I think if it all depends on their resources and if they you've had a layout for 40 50 years and now maybe you're done with it <laughs> you just you know you sold the house you sold the basement and you tore it out and you maybe you don't want to but you never know you know it's it's time it's time and money I think that that'll come yeah you know
0: yeah. I think, Neil, I need to bring you up to speed on my foam board, baseboard <laughs> construction, <laughs> ultra-lightweight baseboards that you can post. Yeah, yeah. cool. Because I've, yeah, because I mean, I've made a layout that I was going to bring, I was going to take it to um, Kansas City, but I've decided to do something slightly different that's more usable for the purpose. But I've built a layout in a shadow box in N-Scale that's 27 inches by 7 inches, so that would definitely fit your standard of a yeah. micro layout. Yeah. I actually nearly sent it to you to finish the scenery, but I was thinking about taking it to Kansas City this year. Um, (laughs) However, it it weighs three pounds. Really? And that's with all the track on it and all the scenery weighs less than three pounds. Excellent. And, you know, so that it could easily be shipped to the US in a box.
1: Yeah. Yeah, That's one one thing we've never done is ships layouts, because I don't Not that I, you know, I don't trust the UK postal service or courier service, but I always think, you know, if, if I posted the layout abroad and there's something wrong with it and something happens in transit, how do I, you know, what do I do with that? You know, how do I, you know, we pride ourselves in the, the fact that we look after our customers and we'll come out, you know, if there is an issue, we'll travel and we'll, we'll fix that issue. Um, you know, and if it's a if it's a layout we've shipped to the US and it's you know a point mat is broken, and the customer can't fix it I can't really do that. So it's um it's it is, it's hard sort of sending layouts out on the post. That's why we've always delivered our layouts and installed them ourselves.
0: It might be a challenge to the US, but I I'll, yeah. I would I look forward to watching it. <laughs> you might you'll find knowing you two, you'll find a way. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. to deliver a layout. Yeah. Okay, so that's, well that's cool. I I, I mean, I think there's a growing, I, I do believe the hobby's growing, and I do believe there's a growing trend for smaller layouts. Yeah, definitely. For people in college dorms, I think there's a huge, if you look on YouTube, I'm not saying these people are going to want you to build them a layout, Neil, but I think there's the, I think there are many neils of the future out there, <laughs> and you know, who, who like, as you said, just switching a few cards around on a small yeah. plank. yeah. And I and I think that you know, um, people out there in the college dorms or their small apartments that have just left home, the sizes of you know the affordability of big houses is not not there for a lot of a lot of people on both sides of the pond.
1: And I think I think as well as the other thing is that you know with with all the economical changes of everything and money's going up, you know the the cost of everything's going up on import and export that. Not everybody can afford, you know, a rake of 40, 40, 40 coaches or, um, you know, 20, 30 locos. You know, just a box full of locos and a box full of wagons to run on a small layout is more achievable than that building that huge, big layout. And it, it keeps the cost down, especially for the younger generation who don't earn that much money. They, they can still have the you know, small model railway with DCC sound that looks just as good.
2: Yeah, it's, it's always... It's hard to convince people that, but it is a genius idea where if you have a smaller layout, if, you, if you're only going to have two engines, you can have the best. Yeah. yeah that's you, right. you know, Gordon and I have talked about, it. I don't have to buy 50 engines. I can buy two or three and have the ultimate sound and weathering and lighting and everything else in that. Yeah. So, yeah. well, where do you see the, the future of the hobby then, Neil? You, you meet all these customers and you see all these things. Where do, where do you see the hobby
1: going in, in five, 10 years? I don't know, really. It's hard because I think a lot of people are going for smaller stuff. But we say that we say that. Then we've got such a different range of customers and different range of size layouts. You know, I I do think at some point the manuf- a lot of the manufacturers and suppliers it's just going to bottom out. It's going we're going to go back again 20 years where people can't afford it anymore. Um, you, know, you you have to go on e- you go on eBay now, and there's a lot of people selling stuff up. Because they can't afford the hobby anymore; it's, it's, it's getting really expensive. I think that's what'll do it—you know—which what, what'll kill it a little bit. Um, but at the moment, it's growing because, I've, because of technology. Things like you know, being able to run locos from your iPhone or iPad or you know, do it remotely—you know, run it from your laptop or your computer or anything like that. I think the younger generation are a lot more interested with stuff like DC and all that stuff with sound and everything's automated and that kind of stuff. So I think the younger generation's coming into it more, which is what the hobby needed more than anything else.
2: Okay. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think there's a lot of people who can't afford the hobby that they think they should have. Yeah. You know, we call them them around here the blue tub modelers, (laughs) People people who buy everything and put it in a tub and, Maybe that's a separate hobby I've thought about is buying model trains and actually building a layout are two separate hobbies. So.
1: Oh, yeah, there's
2: a lot of collectors
1: out there, so a lot of people mm-hmm. go not collect stuff, you know, but there are people who want to model model railways, and, you know, they're, they're the guys that we want to tap into.
2: Yeah. Well, that's good. I, th- I believe, Gordon, I think the hobby's growing. I think it's the golden age. You know, we're getting museum-quality things with... Sound and lights and DCC and run it on our iPhones. So, yeah, well, I mean, and,
0: and, and I think the British guy and I think the guys that model British stuff still haven't got the same standard, <laughs> anywhere near the same standard as what the guys who are modeling in the US and uh, Japan, particularly Japan. The the quality of the models in Japan is very very high. Um, you look at the detail on some of the models that come out of Japan. They're very, 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 very highly detailed. However, I took delivery on Friday of four scaletrains.com uh, tier 4 Gvos that Shane uh, persuaded me, to, the owner of the business persuaded me to pre-order in, uh, in, in, in Florida last, last summer. And they are amazing. They are so much more detailed than... Anything I've ever seen from a British manufacturer ever. I mean, Neil, these things have—they're de- for the price. They're about two hundred pounds with a sound end scale with sound on it and LED lighting throughout for about two hundred pounds, and they have specific details that are on the loco that the road number is for. So they have different exhaust ports and things like that. Yeah. They actually will only produce the model that they have. In this instance, they pretty much digitally scan the models, but they've got copious amounts of photographs, because I've supplied photographs to this particular manufacturer that I've taken when I've been out in the States of, of certain locals that I think they're, they're doing in a run in HO now, one of the ones that I sent some photographs in of. Um, I mean... British manufacturers will just do. This is a British Railways Class Twenty Five, yeah. you know, Type Three, and and they'll just that's it. There's one type, but that's not really the truth, you know.
1: Yeah, I think I think in the UK we are quite a bit behind the US because we 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 seem to be like just throwing stuff out there just for the sake of throwing stuff out there and putting a ridiculous price tag on it, and um, and I think. There's a lot more smaller companies coming out in the UK now because they've had enough of, you know, and there are, there are people like me who, who have started a business because they've seen a the gap and they sort of think, oh, we'll manufacture a wagon. that's not even being talked about in the UK. We'll, we'll manufacture that and, we'll, and they are doing well. You know, people like certain, certain loco works, you know, their class 24s, stunning. And, it, it, you know, Batman and Hornby can't touch that kind of detail. But they're concentrating on just that one loco, um, and I think that um, sort of Backman and Hornby are sort of just too busy fighting around, trying to get one over on each other, than actually concentrating on what everybody wants. And that is a quality loco that works and runs and looks exactly how it should do. And I think that's where the US are better than we are.
0: Yeah, I think. I think there's a a growth in that, and quickly, I'm watching the time, but quickly, a a UK, this is, Tom, you'll have to excuse this, but this is a particular (laughs) UK question for Neil. So in the UK, there has been an explosion of high quality, affordable, O scale models that are now nudging on being a similar or not much higher price point than a HO model. Yeah. Now, that's something that's been in the US for a while, so we can park that as a, no surprise to O-scalers to in the US who want to buy an Atlas model, you know, a two-rail model, and even MTH doing the same for a similar price. However, we're talking uh, switching loco, um, DCC ready for £191, I think they are at the moment, yeah. with DCC sounding for less than £300, £300 which is less than $400. So, um, you know, do you think, you Neil, know, that there's a... There's a shift in scales and potentially an explosion in O scale
1: layouts. I think so, but I still think that O scale's got a stigma with it, <clears throat> of it being over like, really expensive to run. Um, I think you know you can buy that loco for less than three hundred pounds, but then all the other stuff like buying wagons and buying um, buildings and track work is quite a lot more. You know, it, it doesn't balance the, the money out if you like. So a lot of people are scared to go into O gauge because yeah, they can afford, you know, a little, you know, a switching loco for 300 quid, but they can't afford the rest of it that goes with it. Um, so, I mean, we have done a couple of O-gauge small switching layouts, uh, little shunting layouts, but you know, I still think that it's a little bit behind. You know, I don't think there's that much stuff out there at the moment for O-gauge. I think, you know, we, we, we needs to be a lot more coming into the UK than what there is at the moment.
0: Okay, I I I don't disagree, but I'm an old scaler, so
1: I mean that's I'm why, that's obviously why you model the US stuff because there's a lot more variety, a lot more stuff you can use in the the US market than there is in the UK. Yeah, yeah.
0: Thank you for not sharing my dirty secret about that big old scaler. <laughs>
1: <and
0: British, laughs> is British is British yeah. O
2: scale the same as American? Because I know. The, that's the, always the,
0: the fight is the Atlas stuff is five you know the gauges oh, wrong. The five feet yeah and the British yeah. stuff is narrower and then there's um, the three
2: railers here and they run everything so it's
0: oh, yeah let's not talk about them <laughs> <Okay>. so, um, <laughs> the there's no free rail in the UK ah it's got no no free rail but not what you would call fine No, free. yeah right. right okay um and not in any way shape or form uh, it's still pretty much tin plate um uh, so the, it's a different scale so it's 148. America is, is the American o scale British o scale is 130 Wow so okay. um, it's it's you know it's it's bigger um, but that means that our track gauge is actually narrow of gauge slightly yeah. so uh, that 32 mil standard of uh, 30 yeah 32 mil standard gauge was established by Hornby back in the 1930s, and that's just been the standard O scale gauge. And then models started to be, be being built to 148 from 143 and a half. Um, that was not how it was. It just so happens the way to remember it is people refer to O scale in the UK as 7mm, and that's because it's 7mm equals a foot. Yeah, uh, it's not quarter inch to a foot not far off, but it's not a quarter inch to a foot, it's 7mm to the foot. Um, the thing in the UK is that like this Proto 48 in the US, this scale 7 in the UK, which extends, this is how crazy it is, they widen the track gauge to 33mm, so 1mm wider, which is a sliver. Um, and that the problem with that, though, is that it makes everything much more difficult, especially when you've got a large... Framed locomotive. It means you've got to do full compensation, hand build it. You can't just get something ready to run from from somewhere to run on scale seven. Yeah. Um, that's why the gauge in the British O scale is slightly under gauge. It gives you a little bit more play in the side rods of your locomotives and things like that.
1: Yeah, and I think the other thing um, is with that with the UK O gauge stuff is a lot of it is kit built stuff. You, know, you have to build it as a kit, whereas you know you can get good quality stuff in the US off-the-shelf in our gauge so you know, we haven't got that much off-the-shelf gear.
0: Yeah, this is true. If you, yeah, if you want a specific locomotive, but you are kind of limited in the US as well. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, you are kind of limited to, to what's available. The thing as well in the US, which you don't see too much in the UK, although it's of a entering the UK market and making this, more common is in the us now you pretty much need to pre-order a model at least a year in advance and I think that's that's the difference
2: yeah
0: um, the UK you can walk into a hobby shop and buy most models in the year that they're announced and that's still the way you know if it's in the 2018 backman catalog come August you can expect to go to walk into a hobby shop and buy it mm-hmm. and they'll have stocking on the shelves, maybe not your small local hobby shop, but the, the big distributors in the UK. You, you know, you would expect them to have it on the shelf for a while. In the US, that's non-existent, pretty much. Okay. Uh, you would expect to be pre-ordering those Jivos, for example. I pre-ordered in. Uh, I pre-ordered them at the beginning of August last year. They were delivered. They were delivered to market in May, and then they were hand-delivered to me because I didn't want them shipping across the Atlantic I wanted them hand-delivering so they were hand-delivered to me like on Friday so you know it's nearly a year from point of order to 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 receiving the locos. though I also received another loco in May that was from uh, Walfers that I ordered over two years ago Mm -hmm. I ordered that in 2016 and it's just been delivered in 2018 and it's now that loco I honoured the pre-order, but that loco has been surpassed in in quality by other manufacturers' modelling of the exact same loco since, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a problem with pre-ordering, uh, and then having lots of production delays. However, we're off topic because you 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 can pre-order with yourself and not get production de- production delays. <laughs> you can get many production updates on Facebook. Yeah. So I think. Um, are you got, unless you've got more questions, Neil, for Tom, while you're no, going good. here, now I'm good. You're good. Yeah. You're good. You're good. Tom will be sending his order forms to you, though. Yes. Well, I see, you, I
1: see you. I see
2: you do custom building and laser cutting three D. Do you have
0: late? Do you have a laser on
2: premise, or do you? No, have... we
1: don't. No, we don't. know. we can. Okay. We can get stuff done if we need to.
2: That's that's yeah. the
1: future. I think is if we get a laser cut one day, if we ever get the space.
2: And 3D printing. See, I think that's the future, too, is laser and 3D printing and etching, and everyone can do this
0: now on their own.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. I don't know about about etching. Photo etching might be beyond the average person to do in the UK because you're not able to get the chemicals.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, we have Uh, Micromark catalog. You just see what comes the next day. Yeah,
0: no. Yeah, no, 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 not in the UK. Um, so we can, um, we do have many, we do have many people now popping up with little shops where you can send your designs and they'll print it for you. Yeah, or or, or etch it, and we did that. And that's not new. Photo etching to, to order is not new. It's a big company. I don't need to say the name. Everybody knows them. Um, you you know we as a family did that back in the 1990s and 1980s yeah you know once you've got your artwork that's it you just order it and now you can do digital artwork it's so much better um, but but yeah you can always order a building from Neil <laughs> might be the wrong prototype for your layout, but <laughs> well,
1: we do, we've done some US stuff haven't we so we've, um, we've adapted a few of your kits so
0: this is true, yeah, there is a few bits. I think there's a U.S. I think there's a US modification to a layout. Well, there's a, a U.S. layout coming out the shops at some point, but we'll talk about that separately off the podcast.
2: <laughs> but I think uh, in the U.S. there'd be a demand, there is a demand for kit building services. Because yes, yeah. people buy these expensive, you know, let's say just fine-scale miniatures or some of these laser kits, and that's beyond a lot of people's capabilities or, you know, what they can do. And hey, would you build this and detail it up for you know the Burlington or the New York Central or you know? And, yeah. and there's there's a huge demand for that here.
1: And, that, and that's what and that's what James does well is he he he, um, he will he can build stuff that's prototypical stuff you know from photos. So he, you know you can send him a photo and he'll build it. You know, and he he's a crazy guy and he'll do anything you you give him. And I like giving him challenges as well. So if you've got a US building you want doing, just send it. and I'll give it to him. See what he does. <laughs> Yeah, there turn them go. loose,
0: turn them loose. Yeah. There you go, yeah. but, the, but, the, but, the, but the one thing we don't have, Tom, in the UK that you are referring to is we do not have the, such expensive craftsman kits like that. No, no way, that, that is an alien concept, yeah. that would be an alien concept to British modeler. They would just go and scratch build it. Yeah, right, no right. Way. No way. But scratch building British with a laser, spend, though,
2: you know, if you can no, design no, it and no, spend your time at the computer... Yeah.
0: You can use a cricket, though. You don't need to use a laser. But we've got um, a manufacturer called Slaters who have been in business for a long time. They manufacture uh, plastic-hard sheets and uh, various embossed versions. Um, And and so your scratch-building supplies in the UK are very good. So most modellers in the UK would scratch-build something, um, which is what Neil's Neil's guy does. You know, you, you... Neil, if, if, so what we're talking about here is these craftsman structures that are translation into British pounds. You're talking anything between 200 and 300 pounds for a kit? Yeah. Uh, I can't see British modelers personally no. paying two to 300 pounds for one building on the layout, even if it was a centrepiece. No. If, um, if, if they're going to buy
1: a kit, they want it cheap because they think, you know, they, and quite rightly, I guess, in a way, they, they've got to do the work. It's all, it's all been molded out plastic, they've got to do the work to make it look like a building. And you don't want yeah. to spending that much money before you do that.
0: Yeah, that's the, that is a big difference. Yeah. There's just not that market in the UK. Whereas in the US, if you buy some Craftsman kits, they're just a box of sticks. <laughs> but then there's a lot more wooden buildings in the US than we have. We don't have that many wooden buildings that you can just knock up with a box of sticks. No. It's bricks, and there are people though that build brick. Tom, there are people that build buildings out of individual bricks when they scratch build them.
2: Yeah, they're called crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, well no, that's quite called no, common. That's what we should else. do is we should we should do an exchange. We should do an exchange program. We need to send Neil to a, a US show with me. Yes. out In the states. Yes. We need to send Tom over here and send him to York. Yeah And see what goes on at York. Warly, <laughs> or Yorker. Warly. Yeah, I'll save Wally, up for Birmingham, yeah. I'll save up for Birmingham, yeah. Definitely, well, hopefully Neil will build a layout for Birmingham. Well, I was, I was uh, going to do this
1: year, but we're not, we're a bit too busy this year, so I'm probably going to look at next year.
0: What, oh, so you're coming to the, oh, what, to Wally yeah. or to... Yeah, to do Wally. To Wally. I thought you were going to say I was gonna, you were going to come to the British Region Convention then. Yeah. I was going to say you're more than welcome to come to the I, British Region Convention. So
1: it's like, I'd here. like to come and see, because you don't get to go, you know, obviously... When we go to shows, I'm stood on a stand, so I don't get to see a lot. It'd be nice to go to an MRA show just to see what goes on there, just to be a punter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you
0: should do that. Yeah, do that. You should come to Aber- come to Aberdeen next next summer okay, <laughs> for the cool. British Region Convention. Definitely. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's call that a wrap. Um, I think that's an hour. We've just done an hour and thirty minutes. That's way enough time. Uh-huh. Um, so thank you, Neil, very much for sharing the insights into your, your modelling and your business. Um, and thank you, Tom, for, for co-hosting so well, as always. Um, if people want to find out information about about The Little Layout Company, they're on Facebook. Just uh, search for The Little Layout Company. If you search them in the Google machine, you'll find out that they've got a website. And I think Neil's going to tell me it's wrong in a minute. It's uh, uk.
1: That's correct, yeah.
0: Oh, I'm, see how sharp, am I, right? There sharp. You go. There you go. All right. Um, and if people want to get in touch with the podcast, provide feedback, moan about the uh, mic quality and all that kind of stuff, which I don't mind. Feedback, positive and negative, is always welcome. Then email news at nmrabr uk, and uh, that will come through to the whole of the board in the British region. and They'll all get to see it, your feedback. Um, so that'll be cool and if anyone wants us to, to mention an event or, or anything on one of our podcasts then let us know if you want to come on the podcast as a guest and be interviewed or interview somebody or any suggestions of who we should interview or talk to or what topics we should talk about then then get in touch and uh, I think that's that's it it's just time to say uh, "Tara, really thanks for having me guys
1: thank you Tom nice to meet you nice to meet you Neil thank you for coming on It's one wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, hopefully talk to you again soon. Yes, when, when you place an order.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, I'm typing it up now.
0: <laughs>
2: One Waterloo station. Here we go.
0: Oh, oh, right, okay. <laughs> I think I think you, you 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 may have missed the concept, Tom.
2: I know. I have to give you grief. I have to give you grief
0: though. <laughs> It has to fit in. Let's put it this way. Let's try to keep it so it'll fit in the cab of your locomotive, right?
2: Oh, okay, yeah, that, that would be good. That'll still
0: be the biggest. That'll still be the biggest layout Neil's ever built. <laughs> but let's just make it fit inside the cab of an SD40 or something like that. That would be a
2: portable layout, then, wouldn't it?
0: That would be. Yeah, these are all supposed to be portable layouts. Yeah. You could have it on the. You could have it on the on the uh, on the walkway outside or against the hood. Yeah. <laughs> Strap it to the walkway. So no, that's cool. Thank you very much Neil. Yeah, and, thanks. Uh, thanks. It was it was good to have you on and I'm sure we can get you on again and Yeah, that. any
1: time yeah, more than happy to